Thanks for tuning in to Freelancer Therapy. My name is Amber Rhodes. I've been a freelancer myself. And on every episode of Freelancer Therapy, I will be talking to a freelancer, a solopreneur, part-time, full-time, anytime, and asking them about their mental health and wellness. Enjoy the show. Hey, y'all. Thanks for tuning in to Freelancer Therapy, where we have conversations about mental health and wellness for freelancers and solopreneurs. Today, I'm joined by the adventurous Rachel Meltzer, who runs her business from her van with her cat sidekick, Bonnie. Hey, Rachel. Hey, how's it going? Pretty good. How are you? I am great. Where are you based right now? Um, Today, I am in Olympia, Washington at my friend's house, uh, just visiting and trying to stay out of the rain. (laughs) How did you decide to go to Olympia? Uh, Well, it is... My friend lives here and he's going to watch my cat while I go home for Thanksgiving. I'm flying home from Seattle. Mm. So uh, this, I was going to come visit them anyway this year, but I was not (laughs) going to come in winter. So this is fun. (laughs) Definitely not the ideal season to be here, but uh, it's good. I'm getting a lot of work done because it's so dark and rainy. (laughs) Yeah. Oh yeah. It is, tis the season to be in dark and rainy weather. Yeah. (laughs) So you live in a van, which I find really fascinating. And I would just like you to share a little bit about how you came to this decision. Yeah. Um, I've been wanting to do van life since probably 2012 when I graduated from high school. Mm-hmm. I had seen some YouTubers, Eamon and Beck, uh, and I just like obsessively followed them on YouTube. And then I found all their friends and I just watched van life videos all the time. And I was like, that's going to be me one day. <laughs> Uh, I, at the time I was like living with my parents in their trailer. So, mm-hmm. I mean, we done tiny living. Our first house was like a shed. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. uh, I just thought it would be way cooler if I could just be anywhere I want to be and not have to be in Maine in the winter and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a couple of years later, I threw out the Appalachian trail and that made me think like, oh, that's actually possible before it was kind of felt like a pipe dream I had wanted to be a lawyer so I'd probably be in one place all the time and mm-hmm. uh eventually I decided we'll talk about this later not to get <laughs> politics and law because of my mental health um and after that decision and my through hike I really felt equipped to live in a van because I'd lived you know without a toilet without a stove without a shower for six months uh-huh. um and so I knew I could do it and then it was just about saving up the money and figuring out which vehicle was going to be right for me. Yeah. So the AT was just kind of like you're, <laughs> you did it and you're like, oh, I can really do anything. Like, I don't need that home space. Yeah. Like, I don't need a physical home to do what I want to do. Yeah. Well, for me too, it was like, I'd never had my own space before. Like growing up, I always, you know, shared with my sister mm-hmm. and I, I lived in dorms all of college. Cause I was an RA. Mm-hmm. Um, And so I really didn't, I was just constantly living with other people to save money on rent. And I just wanted my own space that I could do whatever I want to do, whatever I want. And it really was like the most affordable way to do that without having to continue paying rent and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. I do think that it practically makes a lot of sense. Then on the flip side, I'm sure that there are a lot of things that aren't as practical about it. Yeah. It's, (laughs) it's been a lot more expensive than I thought it was going to be to live in a van because it was just not convenient 
Uh, I mean, I make at minimum $50 an hour. Mm-hmm. And if it takes me two hours to make dinner and it's cutting into my work day, like, why would I do that? I'm going to go buy dinner. But that costs more too, like in actual money. So it's kind of a trade-off. Like yeah. you're going to spend two hours making a dinner that you're like ramen and it's not that healthy and doesn't feel like it. Or you're just going to go spend money on dinner and get back to work. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, I didn't even consider you have to like always be doing this mental calculus about how to make the most out of your money in your work day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Your time. I mean, everything takes more time in a van, which I did not realize. I was like, oh, it takes me an hour just to be able to move my van from camp to where I need to go. Like, you can't just leave stuff out on the counter. If you do your dishes, like immediately put them away. If you cook something, you have to immediately do your dishes. You don't have a choice. There's nowhere to put it. Also, I have a cat, so like I can't leave 30 dishes out, right? (laughs) Uh, So it's just kind of like a, I did not realize how much like time juggling I was going to be doing and time zones. Oh, one time. I was traveling from Utah to Washington and I was Mm -hmm. in Idaho and my phone thought that I was in Pacific time, but I wasn't Right. realize it. And my car was still on Eastern time. My computer's on Eastern time. And I totally just missed a meeting because the meeting was in mountain time. And I thought that I was in mountain time. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So just like so many things you don't think of before you do it. (laughs) Yeah. And as someone who, um, time zones just go like in and out of my brain. They don't make sense to me. I always get them flipped. That's a nightmare. It's yeah, an absolute I, nightmare. I made like a chart on yeah. my window and whiteboard marker because I could not do it. Yeah. You figured it out. That's good. So you didn't go into law, obviously. And yeah. now you work from a van. So could you tell me just like what you do and then what led you to that from your initial career path? Yeah. Um, right now I am a freelance writer. I primarily do email marketing now, um, Mm -hmm. but I started out with content. So like blogs and newsletters. Um, I also teach other people how to freelance through, uh, community support programs, as well as courses and, um, just downloadable resources like contract templates and things like that. And I got, how did I get here? (laughs) Four years ago, uh, for my Appalachian Trail through hike, I did not have enough money. So I created a blog and I pitched sponsors and I got a few sponsors and a ton of donations from just people I met along the way and friends and family uh, in order to continue. I like ran out of money in Virginia, (laughs) which is not even close to halfway. I was like 500 miles into a 2000 mile through hike and I was like, well, (laughs) no money. So that kind of was my first like paid writing gig. Mm -hmm. And then after that, I, when I got home, I really just wanted to do van life immediately, but I had $400 left. So I knew I needed a job. I went back to Starbucks where I'd been working before the trail. And I was like, I do not want to continue working here. This is horrible. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I quit like a week after I got back. And I immediately, I borrowed my dad's Chromebook and started looking for jobs on Upwork, freelance jobs. Mm -hmm. And I had just seen, I just been Googling and watching a lot of YouTube videos with van lifers about like how they made money remotely. And the only thing that I saw on there that I felt like I could do with the tools and knowledge I currently had was freelance writing. Um, So I was just determined to make that work. I thought it would be the only way (laughs) I could Mm -hmm. live in a van. Um, 
And yeah, so it just kind of became this whole journey of figuring out how to do it. And that's why I like teaching other people how to do it because my journey was an absolute disaster. And I had just like money mindset issues and no understanding of marketing really at all, which you kind of should have a little bit to be a freelance writer. <laughs> um, and just like honing my writing skills and understanding like where to look for help because I spent a lot of money on just really bad courses and coaching that did not help me <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and just battling like having depression or not believing in yourself or anxiety and going and getting a second job because you're afraid you know that it's not going to work out but when I got laid off in 2020 from my last barista job I did not have a choice but to make it work I didn't qualify for unemployment and it was a pandemic so I couldn't just like go get another job Mm -hmm. Um, and that's really when I started like pounding the pavement for freelance jobs and now I've been overbooked ever since like I can't I like give clients away because I just (laughs) keep like I don't have time um and yeah so that's what I teach other people how to do that's awesome I do think so like you I didn't have a marketing background and then I got into freelance writing and there is something about when it rains it pours like I don't need any more clients right now and yet and yet like they just start (laughs) coming in and it feels really nice, but at the same time, it's like stressful. (laughs) It's really stressful. Can you just tell me how you kind of have been handling being overbooked, having a really successful business on the road (laughs) with a cat, (laughs) um, and then struggling with just your mental health? Yeah. Um, yeah. So at the beginning, so basically what I got laid off in March, 2020. And in, in April, I sent 200 letters of introduction, which is the method that I now use to get most of my clients. If I need more clients, which mm-hmm. I don't, um, <laughs> I haven't sent an FOI in like a year because I don't need to. I do not email Rachel. <laughs> she is too busy. <laughs> I literally, I think I've sent like maybe 400 letters of introduction total in my entire career. And they were all in my first year and I haven't needed to since it's basically Mm -hmm. just like the best form of networking because you're like, you're, you're introducing yourself. And then the follow-ups are like where you get the clients from that. Mm -hmm. So I was just like sending all these LOIs and following up with anyone who would respond. And within a month I had too many clients because I didn't understand (laughs) like how much time things were taking me. I hadn't been using a time tracker. I didn't understand how many hours I at capacity could work. So I was booking myself for 70 hours a week and working 70 hours a week in front of a computer. Mm -hmm. Um, I got like debilitating migraines Mm -hmm. and to the point where like I went to my eye doctor and I was like, why is this happening to me? Apparently my left eye doesn't focus well on its own and it likes to just point that way, not at my computer. So when I'm looking at my computer all day, I'm just giving myself a migraine. So I'm just like learning all these things mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was stressful as hell because I never wanted to say no. And I never wanted, I had never asked for an extension in my life from a client. I don't turn things in late. Like I'm a perfectionist. I, and I make sure my client knows it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I just got to a point where I was like, I can't do this anymore. I'm literally making myself sick. And mm-hmm. by basically October, no, November of that year, I was moving out of the living situation I was in into another one and sort of just like biding my time to try to buy a van. 
And I was like, I can't, this is dumb. So I went to all of my lowest paying clients, got rid of them, just <laughs> let them go. I told them if they wanted referrals, they could pay me a referral fee and I would find them another freelancer. Um, so some of them did and I ended up finding them stuff. Other ones were just like, that was it. I was only getting like maximum $150 for a blog post. Um, so mm -hmm. obviously that was not going to be sustainable if I wanted to continue growing and actually hit 5k months, which at the time was my goal. Um, and I started looking for a retainer client. So someone who was going to pay me a flat fee every month, do the same amount of work every month so that I had at least that base income. And then I could just do smaller gigs on the side because a lot of my energy was actually being put towards managing my client relationships and not towards doing my job to make money. Right. right. So I was like emailing people or like having to switch gears and like, oh, I need to use this style guide because it's this client. And if you have six clients for blog posts and you're using six different style guides and doing all that research, it's just like, <laughs> what it's are you so doing? so tough. Yeah. And on top of that, I was also doing web development at the time, which was a horrible idea to add that to my plate. Like, don't, what are you, why do you, <laughs> I was like, well, I can make more money if I learn how to do web development. And it's like, no, what's actually going to make you money is focusing on one service, one type of client, one mm -hmm. niche. That's all you need. You do not need three niches, three clients, three services. Like all you need is that one. And then once your foundation is good, you can add more clients and more services. So once I got that main client, I just focused on that and building up my coaching business because I had started to figure out how to do it. Um, so I was making about $3,000 a month at that time. And I moved into just learning as much as I possibly can from that client and milking it for what I could and then letting them go because they were horrible. They were like super overbearing and just like Ooh, constantly yep. pushing the scope of the project. Um, so finally I had enough, I let them go. And now I have, uh, I've had a couple of retainers since then and they just get better every single time. Um, so on the road, it's been pretty easy to manage. I primarily just work for a retainer client who pays me uh, like $4,000 a month. Mm -hmm. And then I have like one project on the side that I'll work on like long-term and I have set office hours. So every Tuesday through Friday, I am at work from one to 4 p.m. Eastern. So it doesn't matter what time zone I'm in, like that's always my hours. Mm -hmm. And if I, one to four, one to five, what do I say? One to five. Um, so yeah, so I know that I will get my work done and I'm like, I can only be in Wi-Fi during those times. So I'm not like sitting there being distracted because I know that if I don't do my work right now, like it's not going to get done. I'm not going to get paid. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so that's sort of the way that I found it's easiest to balance things. It's not, not stressful. Like, yeah, it's stressful sometimes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> It's like exhausting to travel and work and take care of yourself and be a social person. And like, you can't have all five of these things. You can't like have a climbing adventure, drive eight hours that day, work the next day, and then like not be tired. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I also have a pet. So it just gets very messy. Uh, and I don't, I don't think that there's any way to necessarily stay on top of it other than just like know whatever your priority is for that week do that thing. That's it. <laughs> yeah. And I've found similar to you, like I can set those hours. Um, and I, you know, I work from an apartment, like I'm not moving <laughs> around all the time. I have a dog. He takes a lot of my attention, but like sometimes it just, my brain just is like, mm -mm, 
not today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, oh, ma'am. Okay. So like, I'm just wondering how, if you have a day where your brain is like, I can't function, I can't write. Do you have any process or something built in to allow for that? Um, yeah. So for me, I mean, I don't usually work Mondays, but if I have, if I'm having a bad day, I'll just mm-hmm. pop my Monday on the next week because I know that I can take like, you know, Saturday, Sunday to recover. Um, so like say Thursday is just like a bad day and it's not going well and I'm not getting anything done. I'll just let my client know that I'm popping offline and I'll be online Monday the next week. Uh, and I just make sure like, if I have a deadline coming up, which almost, it's almost never like you have to do it right that moment. Like we're writers. This is not an emergency. Like you're not a doctor. You're not an EMT. You're not a firefighter. Like Mm -hmm. if you think that this is an emergency, it's not. Okay. If you're putting that stress on yourself, like take it off right now and say that to yourself every single time you're freaking out. Most of the time your client's going to be like, Oh, it's not a big deal. Don't worry about it. Or like, I'll assign that to someone else. Can you do this thing instead? Um, and if they do let you go because of that, you do not need them. Trust Mm -hmm. me. Like if they don't think that your mental health is important, not worth having them as a client. (laughs) That is totally true, which brings me to another question. Yeah. <laughs> I've, you're, uh, you're so interesting. So yeah, my question, <laughs> I guess, is are you open about your mental health struggles with your client? Like in those words that I'm having a bad mental health day. Um, I just generally tell them that I'm stepping offline. Like mm-hmm. it's, I don't, my policy with my clients is to keep it as clear, concise, and minimal as possible. Most of the emails I send my clients to talk about a situation, whether it's they've missed a payment or I'm taking a day off is three sentences or less. I don't explain myself. If they need an explanation, they'll ask. Um, So usually I just say, hey, I'm taking a personal day today. I'm sorry for the late notice. If there's anything you need me to do immediately today, let me know and I will. But mm-hmm. otherwise I'll get it done tomorrow and I'll also be online Monday to make up for today. Okay. That's so That's efficient. It. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I mean, like most of them can read into it or understand. I have a personal rapport with most of my clients because I, I do video. Ch- I try to mostly have clients who will do a video check-in with me either monthly or weekly. I mm-hmm. like to have the face-to-face because they feel that you're a human being. Mm-hmm. They know that they're not wasting their time because you're giving them exactly what they need. I've had a lot of clients who would like email me stuff and be like, no, no, we don't need to have video meetings. I don't have time for that. And then I don't do it the way that they thought I was going to, because they didn't explain it properly. And I couldn't ask them follow-up questions because I sent them follow-up emails and they never answered them. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> and they don't have time. And then in the end, the final product wasn't what they wanted. I have to fight them for a payment and it's just not like, it's not a good relationship for either of you. So I try to have like strategy calls with all of my clients. So they know me, they know what I'm like. They know I'm going to follow through. They trust me. They see that I'm a human being and that sometimes I'm really freaking tired, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) they understand. Um, and once again, if they didn't, they wouldn't be my client because I don't work with people who don't, I've done that. It was not like, it's so, it will, degrade you and drain you. And you'll get to a point where you're so resentful of your client. You don't even want to show up to work anymore. And like, you're a freelancer because you want to make your own business. Mm -hmm. You are in control of making your business. So if you're showing up to work and hating it, that's your fault. That's your problem and your choice. I'm not saying like, go throw away all your clients because they annoy you. Go find other clients that you like better and drop this one. 
And sometimes you can't know if you're going to like the client until you get into the relationship. And that's just how it is. There have been plenty of clients that I've worked for for like three weeks, maybe a month or two into like a six month contract. And then like, actually, this isn't going to work for me and the contract. There's nothing wrong with that. As long as you wrote it into your contract. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. That's the way to do it. Um, I also think some of that will come with time. Like, like you were saying, you don't know. Yeah. It's just experience. Yeah. It's experience. And then it's learning how to set your boundaries. Like you've done a really good job. I'm going to work these times, these days. Um, and it's not always like that though. Yeah. And when it's not, then, then you get tired, you get burned out and it's maybe not even about hating your clients. It's just being resentful of the schedule that you've set for yourself. Yeah. And then it all just kind of compounds. So setting boundaries is probably one of the most important things I think that freelancers can do. Yeah. Yeah. I really, and like, don't be afraid to talk to your therapist about this. I spent months, I mean, I used to be an extremely codependent person, like toxically. Mm. Uh, I was definitely raised in an enmeshed family. And I felt like, like I would ooze my feelings and my issues on other people, including my clients all the time, because I just didn't understand boundaries. Mm-hmm. I used to write those long emails that were like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Like in the middle of the night, like I totally fucked up and I'm so sorry, but I can't do this. Blah, 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 blah. And it just turns into this like, and your client does not need that. That is bad. Don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> like you just don't know. And that's something that I learned from experience that I wish, you know, someone told me, but I didn't. And then when I got into therapy, it was like, oh, boundaries are so simple, but they're a practice. Like they're not just going to magically happen. And if you don't say it directly, you don't know. Like one of my clients was just constantly overstepping the scope of our agreement. Mm -hmm. And so I set office hours for him so that he would know it was a retainer Mm -hmm. uh, so that he would know when I would be online and he wouldn't bother me outside of those times. And then it's, it just slowly turned into like, he always wanted more. He always wanted too much. It was just never enough. And I was making $30 an hour. Like that's not worth it mm-hmm. for $30 an hour. And a lot of the issues that I brought up in the meeting where I told him I couldn't work for him anymore, he literally did not know what's happening. I thought he could tell. I thought he knew that he was overstepping our contract because he signed the contract. Right. Right. <laughs> But like, no, most clients are not going to read every word of your contract. In fact, they might not read any of it. They'll probably just sign it and be like, whatever, because they don't know or care. And mm-hmm. then when you sit down with them in a meeting and expect them to be like, I, oh yeah, that was in our contract and I overstepped it. Sorry. They're not going to say that. They're going to be like, oh, I had no idea that was bothering you. I wouldn't have done that. Right. So if you're having a problem with a client, just be direct. Like this client was constantly uh, just like, I, I gave him, oh, I gave him my Slack and he would pay me on Slack because he knew it would go to my phone on the weekends all the time and expect me to answer. And if I didn't answer, he would follow up. (laughs) So I had to tell him like, oh, actually I only answer Slack during these hours. I thought you understood that because it was in our contract. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. You don't even have to apologize. You can literally just say it's in our contract that I don't answer Slack outside of these times. I'll respond to you soon. Yeah. That contract. (laughs) Everyone listening, (laughs) have a contract. I am not kidding. I feel like that is the way to, you're setting expectations up front. You're setting those boundaries up front. Mm -hmm. Um, 
redo the contract. If you didn't do it right the first time, just be like, sign this new contract, just have a contract. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Cannot stress that enough. And it's like, every time something's bothering you, you know, it's in your contract, just go mm-hmm. to the client and say, as per our contract, blah, 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 blah. You can find this in section whatever, whatever. So like, I believe mm-hmm. I number my sections, the big headers, and then each bullet point underneath it is like A, B, C, D, right? So I'll say mm-hmm. like, Section 2B states that you canceled our meeting within 24 hours of the meeting. You'll be receiving a cancellation charge of $55 on your next invoice. I hope you understand. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's all you have to say. And they'll never cancel a meeting within 24 hours again, or else they'll be like, oh, this meeting isn't mandatory for you. You know, yeah. and you don't have to show up and it's not your fault. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, but I'm working with a lawyer right now, actually, to create contract templates for freelance writers so that you can have a base with all these boundaries that I've learned that you should have in your contract. Cause I, every year I'm just like adding boundaries to my contract. And I finally have one that I've been using for two years and I'm like, it has everything. (laughs) Oh man. It sounds like, I don't know. It sounds amazing. (laughs) The holy grail of freelancer contracts. (laughs) Like how much can we put in here? Mm-hmm. It's short because you kind of want to keep it to like two-ish pages because you do want your client to read it. Um, and I've started adding initial sections next to things like if I've been having like a lot of my clients just don't pay attention to the meetings and I want to have those meetings, but I don't want it to be like two hours of my time every month or mm-hmm. canceling last minute or whatever. So now I have an initial field next to the meetings. So I'm like, we're not messing around because I have to go find Wi-Fi every time I want to have meet, you know? So it just turns into like, yeah. it could, you can lose money really quickly on that. Yeah. Oh yeah. That makes a lot of sense. So you've mentioned having a therapist. <laughs> I'm curious how, the, do you still go to a therapist now? Um, I am currently taking a break because my last therapist went back to her like pre-COVID job. I use BetterHelp. Mm, Um, So a lot of people got on, a lot of therapists got on BetterHelp for the pandemic. And now that it's sort of like people are going back to their real jobs, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, some people have been getting off. So she left and I just, I just loved her so much. And I had like, she was the first therapist I really really loved and connected with and felt like gave me like tangible tools. Right. Um, so I interviewed like six therapists after she left and I was like, I just can't get over her. Like I want these therapists to be her. And obviously they're not going to be, cause that's not like she, she was a p- person, you know, <laughs> just right. uh, so I've kind of, I'm like, okay, I need to get over her. It's like getting over your ex or something. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I'll get another therapist. So my goal is to start again in January. So you were doing BetterHelp allows you to do text therapy and video therapy. Is that correct? Yeah. So they have like a chat room text thread that you can do. They also have video mm-hmm. and then they have phone. I usually just did the phone call because video um, takes up too much data. <laughs> you need to have like really good service to use it because um, it's all it's all internet calling. Mm-hmm. So even if you have enough to like have a phone call, it's not mm-hmm. always enough to do therapy. Mm, okay. Do you, hmm, how do I ask this question? <laughs> I want to ask what led you to make the choice to go to therapy, but I don't want it to be too, no, that's yeah. taking too much. Okay. That's what led yeah, you to perfect. seek therapy that first time? <laughs> um, so I first started going to therapy actually when I was nine years old. Um, we were moving and I 
couldn't handle it (laughs) as a child. And I just had a lot of issues with, I already was experiencing depression at that age. I grew up with a chronic illness and I was home from school a lot. And my parents both worked two jobs. So I was home alone all the time. And Mm -hmm. um, that is needless to say, it's lonely especially in the middle of the woods in Maine, like we didn't have kid neighbors or really anything. So Mm -hmm. I was just alone all the time. Um, And I, that's when I first started experiencing depression and my mom sent me to therapy. I hated my first therapist. (laughs) I feel like that's a rite of passage to hate your first therapist. (laughs) Especially because it's like mom mandated, you know, (laughs) no matter who it was, if my mom mandated, like, I'm not going to like you, but Mm -hmm. I'm a nine-year-old, like, fuck you, (laughs) you know? It's mm-hmm. that age, just like I don't, I had issues with adults. Um, so I was in therapy on and off for all the way through college uh, mm-hmm. and even after college. Um, in 2015, December of 2015, I attempted suicide. I just had gotten to a point where, well, first of all, I was just doing way too much because as soon as I went into remission for my chronic illness at 16, mm-hmm. I was like, I'm going to do every fucking thing I missed every single day. Yeah. <laughs> it was way too much. Yeah. I was just like captain of the soccer team, going to jazz band, going to orchestra, going to choir, honors program, a job, an internship all at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I was an RA on top of all of that. Mm-hmm. that that's crazy person shit. Like that is way too much. Um, and I also realized after the fact, a large contributor of it was my hormones. Mm -hmm. I was having a very severe hormone imbalance from my birth control. Um, and it was causing like depression and suicidal thoughts, um, pretty intensely. And later I got off of birth control and decided to go back on it just for because I was having issues with like how heavy my periods were and all the pain that I was having and mm-hmm. immediately almost a week after I went on hormonal birth control I started having suicidal thoughts again Ugh. like extremely intensely and I was like yeah. we're over this this is not me this yeah. is my birth control and it was the exact same feeling of like I have to do this right now like I have to kill myself right now that like really intense like your chest is tight like you can't think properly like everything is wrong because your body feels wrong mm-hmm. that I was like, Oh, well, this was my medication the whole time. It was never me. It was never my brain. It was my hormones talking to my brain. Right. Wow. But you can't always feel that separation until you've like felt it not be there. Right. Yeah. Um, and also like no doctor will ever talk to you about the fact that your hormonal birth control could cause suicidal thoughts. Like I called my doctor. <laughs> yeah I was like oh yeah that happens sometimes we'll just put you on a different kind oh yeah that happens sometimes you weren't gonna I'm a suicidal like I in the past have been mm-hmm. hospitalized for this you weren't gonna say anything about that to me yeah so <laughs> I have a few thoughts on this um I for a long time because I had been diagnosed with depression major depression I was like I'm not going to go on the pill. Like, I don't trust that. Um, and then I had a doctor break it down for me and just say, like, you are probably not going to have problems from this. And luckily I haven't, but I do think that being cautious (laughs) is the way to go. And you're right. Doctors are not going to talk to you about it, which is a whole other can of worms. It's like having to advocate for yourself 
when you're at your absolute lowest, which is bananas. Like I cannot, I don't even know how I did it. I don't know how you did it. I don't know how any of us pick ourselves up. I didn't enough. No, (laughs) I went to the hospital and my mom did it for me. There you go. You know, and sometimes we just need those advocates in our lives because having to advocate for yourself when you're at your deepest, darkest is nearly impossible. Yeah. And Um, I mean, going along with contracts too. Yeah. I made my parents, my power of attorney only for medical stuff. Um, because in many States, uh, I was in Massachusetts. You, if you come to the hospital by yourself and you like go to the emergency room and tell them you don't feel well, and you tell them you're having suicidal thoughts, you will be involuntarily detained for 72 hours at a minimum. Really? Yes. And it doesn't matter what kind of insurance you have. Like if you're like, if you're detained, you have to pay for it. So even if mm-hmm. your insurance won't pay for it, like you are still liable for that and it will be sent to collections. Uh, and in many States, not Massachusetts, but in many States that can also go on your credit score. So, which this is so <laughs> shitty that you have to think about this on top of the fact, like if you're suicidal, you should just go get help. Like, please go get help. But like, yes, know this information as well. So like, if you've ever been suicidal or if you're feeling suicidal or you don't feel well, even if you're not ready to like go to your parents and be like, Hey, I'm feeling suicidal. Mm-hmm. If you have someone that you trust that you know will be in your life for a long time and you can appoint them your power of attorney, it's just really helpful because like I was in a hospital that very clearly did not care about my well-being. They put mm-hmm. me on sleep medication, appetite increasers because I wasn't eating. Mm-hmm. I was wasn't eating because I was depressed. Like putting me on a medication to make me eat is not gonna help me. That's gonna make it worse because I gained 50 pounds in a month. That's ridiculous and so unhealthy and it feels horrible and it just makes you more depressed because you're like oh well now I hate my body too yeah and it's just like it just compounds so I'm on like an upper a downer an appetite increaser a sleep medication that suppresses my appetite Mm -hmm. along with like all the antidepressants and anti-anxiety medications and birth control they'd already put me on that's Mm -hmm. like seven pills Mm -hmm. and all of them are just counteracting each other yep like you should just take everything away mm-hmm. and figure out what the actual problem is. Oh, you're doing too much and your hormones are out of whack. That's what was really happening. Yeah. But I wasn't going to figure that out for like five years. <laughs> yeah. So this is why going to therapy early and often, I think is, is going to be the key for a lot of people, not for everyone. I personally am very pro medication, but I got to it for me, it came on pretty slowly. Like I didn't go to a hospital. Um, my therapist threatened me with one, but I did not have to go to one. And I was able to get into a psychiatrist's office really quickly, um, rather than a hospital. And I think the psychiatrist's office is the way to go. If that is an option, if you're not in an emergency, because then it's someone who's willing to test the pills instead of just throwing them at you. Um, yeah, but therapy can help you realize those things so much faster where you're like, oh, I wasn't being myself. What could it be? You start writing it down and then you eliminate the different Mm -hmm. things that it could or could not be. Um, were you going to therapy before you were hospitalized? Like, yes. And And I told my therapist that I was suicidal and they didn't report it. Look, that is not okay. (laughs) I know it was a college, it was a college counselor. Um, I told, I told multiple people and yeah. nobody did anything about it. And then I told my friend mm-hmm. and he was also, uh, he was like a trained 
sort of like a mandated reporter basically for our school as well. I was an RA, so I was also a mandated reporter. Um, and he was like, we're going to go for a walk. <laughs> and we went outside and he was like, I think you need to go to the hospital. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, I do too. And so he brought me there, but there were so many times when I reached out for help in like a very textbook, like depressed way. Obviously it wasn't as direct as it needed to be, but I didn't really know any better. And it's like, this should not be on the person who's ill. No. And there were plenty of people, like I had a support system, but nobody, they were also caught up in their own bullshit, you know, of life that they just And uh, I know now that like, I don't know the the thing that I wish that I had was people I wish that my support system was more empathetic like if my if your therapist is not empathizing with you or at least sympathizing with you mm-hmm. if your psychiatrist is just prescribing you things and not asking you more about how they're making you feel and what's actually going on in your life like if my psychiatrist bothered to try to sympathize with me he was like a 60 year old man. Okay. Obviously mm-hmm. not. He was just not the person I should have been going to. I just right. remember his office. It was just like the most stressful office to me. It was just like covered in papers and boxes. and like, Oh my, just thinking about it. I just, he was just like, not <laughs> for me. Yeah. But I yeah. know that you could just be like, Oh, I don't like you. I'm going to mm-hmm. someone else. <laughs> because it took me so long to find him in the first place like a psychiatrist in Boston with an opening who took my insurance who I could afford and so I mean there are a lot more resources now I mean it's been five years for you to be able to find somebody Um, but it's also just understand if you don't like the person you're going to just change there's nothing wrong with it they are offering a service just like you offer your freelance services so mm-hmm. if you want to break up with them break up with them like if your client came to break up with you you would just be like okay that sucks I'll go get a new client maybe yep. I'll have a mental breakdown first because you're in the beginning and you're still in scarcity mode just like get out of scarcity mode you will get another one right mm-hmm. but exactly how they feel about it like don't be afraid to go to them and be like hey this just doesn't feel like the right fit for me I'm gonna go find someone else they will understand <laughs> yeah. yeah that's definitely a good mindset and I think going back to when you were kind of giving the signals that you needed help and the people in your group just around you didn't know, that's kind of why we're having this conversation now is because I had a similar situation. I was kind of putting off signals, but I wasn't being direct. And then I had a friend be like, you need to go see a therapist and actually call the therapist's office for me. And it kind of only takes one but not everyone has that one in their group because they just don't know. Like we're not aware we're, especially as women, so used to masking our symptoms with other things, like staying super busy, sleeping mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot, trying to be positive, proving ourselves, just stuff like that. And then people are like, oh, I never knew. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I never knew. And it's like, well, how do we make sure that people always know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do we it's- do that? It is wild how many people were surprised mm-hmm. by what nobody thought that I would do something like that. And mm-hmm. it's like, I'm sitting here being like, obviously I was going to be doing something like this. Look at me. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, I was so good at just being perfect. Even now I've had people come to me and be like, oh, your Instagram looks so perfect. Or like tell my friends, one of my friends' exes was like, he was my ex. 
and he was dating someone and we're still friends and his mm-hmm. ex was so jealous of me simply because of what my social media looked like mm-hmm. and I was like that's not social media is a game we're all playing a game on social media it is not real you cannot take it as real if you're feeling intimidated by someone like okay here's a story <laughs> my direct competition another freelance writer and freelance writing coach Colleen Welsh I love telling this story I was like so afraid of her mm-hmm. I was like so intimidated I just thought she was the most perfect person in the whole world and everybody must like her and she must be getting more sales than me you don't know how many sales someone else is getting you know how much someone else is making even if they say it on their profile they could be lying you don't know mm-hmm. you don't know how many clients they have you don't know how their clients perceive them you don't know if they even like their lives or their work yep and I'm just looking at her social media thinking she's perfect and I'm scared of her so my therapist was like maybe you should be friends with her she would probably get what you're going through the most because she's your direct competitor. And she's one of the only other people who does exactly what you do. Yep. And I was like, fuck you, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I've been like a no week way. later, I did it. Yeah. And now we're friends. And I, I'm actually, she was one of the first people I visited in my van. And it's great because she knows exactly what I'm going through. And she knows exactly how annoying these like little quirks of our job are and things like that. And I was so intimidated by her. And like, we talked about going to therapy and the mental struggles of being a freelancer. And it was so cool. And it felt so good to know that someone else got it, you know? Yeah. And you'll never get that if you don't reach out. If you're intimidated by somebody else, especially on social media, DM them. The worst thing that can happen is they don't respond. The best thing that can happen is that you get a peek behind the curtain and you understand Mm -hmm. that like nobody's perfect. Everything's fine. You're doing great. Everybody struggles with this. Yeah. Have you, are you familiar with shine theory? No. Okay. I'm going to explain it very poorly to you right now. (laughs) It's um, some writer who maybe did or didn't write on Gilmore Girls. Sorry, I don't remember. Um, (laughs) Or at least was a fan of Gilmore Girls. The idea is just with women, especially we are conditioned to be competitive by nature, conditioned to be competitive by nature, which does not make sense, but (laughs) we're conditioned to be competitive, but we're not actually competitive. So like you thinking that you were competing with someone else who was doing the same thing as you was not real. Um, and what actually happens is once you support that person, when she shines, you learn how to shine brighter. Mm-hmm. That shine theory is that like when you're shining as a writer, that just shows that we can succeed as writers. And then I feel more empowered to do so. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I've kind of tried to live my life by that. I know I explained it very poorly, but <laughs> that has been very important to me for maybe the past five years is just like, I don't need to compare myself to other people. I need to lift them up because what is it? Rising tides, Raise all ships. Like Mm -hmm. when you're succeeding and the very thing I want to do, it doesn't make sense for me to tear you down in any way. It Mm -hmm. makes sense for me to lift you up because then that will bring me up with you. Mm -hmm. Um, and it sounds like you're kind of getting there. Like, you have learned that we're not competing. (laughs) I definitely still instinctively feel threatened. Like when you Mm -hmm. started following me and you started doing freelancer therapy, because I also do a podcast and I talk to people who are like living on the road and freelancing um, or through hiking and freelancing, whatever. Yeah. And I immediately was like, who's this threat? 
<laughs> you know, like just totally like defensive. And yeah. then I was like, what am I doing? This is so stupid. This is hilarious. These memes are perfection. I should be sharing <laughs> these. Like, what, why am I, why am I scared of this person who wants to be my friend and like, just relate to what's going on? Because mm-hmm. when you're, when you grow up in scarcity, especially, mm-hmm. uh, you have this feeling like, oh, there will never be enough people. There will never be enough clients. And what I've learned, especially through talking to Colleen and just other freelancers in general, it's it's like having ice cream flavors, right? Like the chocolate isn't competing with the vanilla. Some people mm-hmm. like chocolate, some people like vanilla, okay? Yeah. But if they were competing with each other, no one would want them because they would taste horrible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so like you are your own flavor and some people prefer this flavor and some people prefer that flavor. Like some people like having long-winded pep talks with weird tangents like Ted Lasso on TV, right? Mm-hmm. And people, like straight to the point, super clear and concise, just like a straightforward sort of investigative mystery, whatever. You know what yeah. I mean? Mm-hmm. It's uh, you don't have to have this, this competition, especially for client, like as time goes on, you'll gain more traction and you'll get more clients and you'll have more eyes, but you can't just expect it all to be immediate and being competitive isn't going to get you there any faster. Yeah. I'm almost flattered that you considered me a threat because <laughs> <laughs> I like work from my bed most days. I'm like watching house hunters in between assignments. <laughs> Right. And it's like, once yeah. again, no one knows, no, no one, one knows. behind the scenes. And like, there were so many days where like I rent a house on Airbnb and I just mm-hmm. work in front of HGTV. Right. Yeah. Or I, you know, it's not glamorous. I like work at the kitchen table at my parents' mm-hmm. house and my mom's cat is just sitting there the whole time waiting to pounce on me. Right. Like there's yeah. never, it's not glamorous. <laughs> no, it's not glamorous. And I, I think my purpose for this podcast, especially if it puts you at ease at all is, is really just having conversations. I, I don't want to be a mogul. I don't want to be Joe. Like I would never want to be Joe Rogan anyway, but like, I don't want to be a Joe Rogan level <laughs> listenership. I just want to have these conversations with people. So they kind of like, it could be someone listening who doesn't even know that they might need help. Yeah. And then they hear something like just from you, the way that you were talking about overworking and, oh my God, maybe I need to do something about that. Mm-hmm. That is the point. And I'm so excited that I've actually had people, you know, reach out. They want to do it. They want to talk. Yeah. 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 It's been really good. It's great. These questions are like, these things are, I wish that people have been talking about this more. Like I was, I was just telling my friend the other day, like, I think if TikTok existed when I was a kid, I might, or like when I was in college and thinking about suicide, I don't know that I would have done it because there are so many people on TikTok with their faces and their voices actually expressing what they're going through and what they're feeling and hearing them talk about it and knowing that I wasn't alone and feeling it instead of being on Tumblr and just like resharing really depressing shit (laughs) would probably have been better because like, but like also more people are going to therapy right now than Mm -hmm. ever before. And they're talking about it out loud on TikTok and all of these, it's the fact that it's like the video and the audio and they're talking directly to you. Mm -hmm. It just feels I don't know what it is, but like, sometimes I go on TikTok and I see someone sharing their feelings. And I'm like, oh my God, if I heard this in college, I would have felt so much better. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. I have a similar experience, which is why I think it can be really hard to talk about your mental health. Um, I decided once I started to feel better that I was going to do it because I, I wish I had had that voice who was just normalizing it. Who was just saying, you know, you're going to have really bad days and your brain is broken and sorry about it, but like, that's just how it is. Um, treat it. But Mm -hmm. I, I didn't have that voice. I kind of came from a more conservative background and my parents were loving and kind. And they did send me to a therapist who was also conservative and it just wasn't the treatment that I needed, you know, but if I had had, like you're saying, TikTok, people talk about like their ADHD symptoms in a way that makes it just real and human where you're like, Oh, I might actually need to get that checked out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Which has been my experience with TikTok. I was like, do I have ADHD? It's very mm-hmm. possible. <laughs> yeah, totally. I was yeah. never, it's funny because my sister was diagnosed with ADHD when she was in grade school. Mm-hmm. I was never because I was always in honors. I was always getting straight A's. I always did my homework on time. Like I was perfect. Mm-hmm. And they're like, there's no way you have ADHD. Like maybe you're autistic. Obviously I didn't test for autism because all this tests are made for boys. <laughs> all the um, tests are made for boys. <laughs> yeah. And like, I'm a kid. Um, and so they were like, well, you just have depression and anxiety. And I'm like, this isn't just anxiety. Like sometimes I don't even know, like, like you go to a grocery store and even if you have a list, you just, it's the most overwhelming thing in the whole world. It doesn't matter mm-hmm. if I've been there before. Like, I just can't, I don't know where to go next. I don't know what to do. It's like, if I have 15 tasks to do today, I don't know how to order them. And then I just won't do any of them mm-hmm. or I'll go do, I'll make an entire podcast series instead of doing my work because I know what I need to do for the podcast series and I know it feels good. So I'll do it. Right. But right. like, yeah. Who, who knew? <laughs> uh, I was talking to my therapist. And she she sent me to a psychiatrist to get tested, and like I don't really talk about it that much because I don't think I. There are plenty of people talking about ADHD, and mm-hmm. I have like protocols for things. Is how I've coped with it basically. And I figured out protocols in college because I'm a rule follower and I like rules, which is yeah ridiculous. So I just make <laughs> rules for myself, and that's how I get shit done. But. I don't necessarily think that uh, I, I, there's something about when we share our tools and our coping mechanisms that aren't drugs and alcohol mm-hmm. and don't just like normalize alcoholism, mm-hmm. everything just starts to get easier and healthier overall because you're like, oh, I can try that thing. It worked for them. Maybe it'll work for me. And then you just like tweak it for yourself instead of getting from your therapist, like, oh, well, this strategy didn't work for you. Like, that's the strategy. <laughs> you know, like, oh, that medication didn't work for you. Like, that's medication, you know? Right. Uh, doesn't have to be like that. No, it, it definitely doesn't. Because as far as I know, the only therapy strategy that I've tried is cognitive behavioral therapy. Mm-hmm. I did not even know that there were all these other strategies. I know. <laughs> and I, I know. Like, what? I mean, cognitive behavioral works for me, but I just didn't know. And then I started doing some research and like my own crap. And I was like, wow, I could really just, there's a whole world out there of things that can be tried and we're just not told them. Even things like, oh, you know, just take your closet doors off. Whoa. What's like, I used to get super overwhelmed. Can you still hear me? Yeah. Yeah. 
my cat's not on my headphones. <laughs> um, I used to get super overwhelmed with like having to pick clothes or like put my laundry away or mm-hmm. um, just deal with like, like I would just wear the same thing over and over because I just, yeah, it was just the most comfortable. And I saw this video on TikTok, like take your doors off your closet. So I just left my closet door open all the time mm-hmm. and suddenly it was fine. Or like I would constantly be throwing away food because it would be spoiled and I wouldn't eat. I would be hungry, but I wouldn't eat the healthy food. I would go and eat the chips because I could see the chips and I knew I liked them. Right. Mm-hmm. But if you like put carrots and hummus in a clear container in your fridge and it's already ready and you just prep it on the day that you get your groceries and you can see it all lined up you don't just have like junk piled like ingredients individually piled in your refrigerator then you're Mm going to be more likely to eat it because you can see it like just making things visible Mm -hmm. will make you use them yeah yeah which is an issue I have with the van is like nothing is visible like everything (laughs) needs to be put away or else it'll be flying around so I'm like never eating my food I have yeah. I found cashews in there from like six months ago I love cashews I would have eaten them but I couldn't see them <laughs> well they're probably still fine right cashews yeah, yeah. I mean I ate them anyway yeah. <laughs> they were there yeah but it's like imagine all the ridiculous snacks I bought between now and then I just like don't even keep stuff stocked in my cabinet anymore because I just won't eat it because I can't see it yeah hmm <laughs> I don't have to learn about yourself, folks. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) Like the more you get to know yourself and what you like and what works for you, the better. And you just have to be willing to experiment to find Mm -hmm. your answer. Yeah. I guess let's wrap up. I just have one last (laughs) question for you. (laughs) Well, it's been a really great conversation. I feel like we could keep going forever, but I I have a therapist appointment in 15 minutes. So wow. My first one in a long time, Mm. um, different conversation. (laughs) (laughs) Could you tell me when you're happiest at work? Yeah. Um, okay. So I used to live in this house that had an office in it. And none of my roommates were using it. And I was like, y'all, can I have the office? I'll pay extra. And we're like, oh, you don't have to pay extra. You can just have it. So we put a tea bar in there, coffee and tea bar. And I had a standing desk and the windows outside, they were just like rhododendrons and trees and vines. It was North Carolina. So it was just like very green all year, all the time. And it had like one window on each wall, a really big window. And I just loved that office so much. I got so much work done in there. There was a bathroom in there. So you don't have to go anywhere to use the bathroom. It's right next to the kitchen. So like you're going to get your snacks. I can't see my bedroom at all, which is Mm -hmm. important. If I can see my bed, it's over. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> if I even touch apartment. like a skin cell to it I'm out for the day I know. yeah forget yeah. it like I only work in bed on the first day of my period and that is a grace I give myself right yeah. it's not actually working it's like barely working mm-hmm. <laughs> um like right now I know that I could go take a nap in my friend's bed at his apartment so like I'm gonna leave right after this interview like I'm going to a cafe we can't stay here yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah just it was just like the best the best work environment I could like record videos in there when I wanted it was aesthetically pleasing the tea and the coffee being right there was just like I was just constantly hydrated and caffeinated Mm. Uh, I just loved it it was great and I had office hours and I had this chair that I put out on the front porch so I could like go outside and have 
breaks and I put up this big whiteboard behind my desk and I would write every time I thought of like a chore I needed to do mm-hmm. I would write it on the whiteboard uh, I use a Pomodoro timer method for work mm-hmm. so I do two 25 minute blocks I take a five minute blo- break in between every block um, where I like don't look at any electronic screens because my eyeball issues <laughs> um, so in between every two blocks, I would have a 15 minute block where I would do a chore. So I would like do the dishes or mm-hmm. go get a snack or do my laundry. And like, when I tell you my life was optimal in that house, like I have never felt better in my life. Uh, and there's like a running trail out back. So it was like after work every day, I'd go for a run. And it was just so special and perfect. And I actually really, really miss it. Like, Aww. I don't really miss living in a house to live in a house. I miss living in a house because of the office idea. (laughs) Yeah. I think that makes sense. It's like you found your, you found your perfect space for being productive, like being productive and not being overproductive. Exactly. It was like exactly the right amount of like rest, productivity, getting your chores done and just like keeping like self-care. Like I was doing mm-hmm. self-care while I was getting my work done yeah. and that was the best thing ever. Um, but yeah, I mean, someday I know I'll have it again. I'm, I've just started the first steps to the house hunting process. I think Ooh. probably it'll be about two years before I get a house, but like, I never thought I would have a house by 28. Like that's crazy. Yeah. That's absurd, but I want it. And mm-hmm. since I want it, I will get it. Mm-hmm. That is what I have learned. <laughs> like you will figure it out if you really want it. If you really want it. Yep. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to talk with me. <laughs> yeah, this was fun. Yeah, we got deep. We got weird. Um, <laughs> where can people find you if you want to be found? Yeah. Um, so if you're looking for freelance writer coaching, you can go to meltzerseltzer.com. It's currently under construction, but it'll be up early in 2020. I'm releasing um, my live online bootcamp as a course now. And I have a community called Pop Club for freelancers in their first through third year. So you can ask us questions anytime and get all these resources. Um, I also am on Instagram at meltzerseltzer as well. And um, yeah, I have a podcast called The Guidebook. We haven't released new episodes in a long time, but if you're looking for like more inspiration for becoming a freelancer to get on the road or like uh, working to live instead of living to work, you can go find that podcast. Yeah. Awesome. That sounds like a really good, a really good lesson to learn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Finding that balance. Oh my God. <laughs> so thanks for joining me and I hope that we can do this again. Yeah. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening to Freelancer Therapy. If you like this podcast, you can subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. If you would like to be a guest on Freelancer Therapy, you can reach out on Instagram at at Freelancer Therapy or email me, Amber Rhodes, at amberrhodeswrites at gmail.com. That's A-M-B-E-R-R-H-O-D-E-S-W-R-I-T-E-S at gmail.com.